You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. How many of you are happy to be in the presence of God right now? Lift up your hands. It's so good, so good to see actual people worshiping the Lord. And I want you to give a big hand to our young worship team. Whenever I see young people serve the Lord, you know, I know that the church is in good hands. Don't you agree? Nothing can make you feel more like a Tito on stage than seeing young people worship right in front of you, right? I saw these young kids when they were teeny tiny, so little, and now they're worshiping the Lord. I mean, you've got Bennett on, on guitars, you've got Kayel on keyboards. I knew them when, when they were still young. Francis led worship. And look at me. I'm still good looking. That's all I can brag. But you know, it's so good to be in the presence of the Lord right now. And uh, it's just in case this is your first time, can you lift your hand if this is your first time to attend the feast ever? Come on, first timers. We got a couple here I know ever. Let's clap our hands for those who are joining us for the first time. And hey, if you're online, if you're a first timer, we love to welcome you through our little gathering right after this session called Zumustahan. We're posting the link right now. I'm, I'm hoping that our backstage team is taking care of that. And so we want to meet you. We want to connect with you and we want to welcome you to this wonderful gathering in God right now called the Feast, the happiest place on earth, whether offline or online. We believe that. Oh, so good. I'm just so happy and thrilled to be in front of you. I know that a lot of you miss this live gathering. I met some people who I've never met. I only met them during the pandemic. And then I met them for the very first time today. They're here live in the flesh. Some came from all the way to Jensan. Some came all the way from the south, all the way from different places. But we all band ourselves together. Why? Because of Jesus. Because we love our God. And because we believe that He is the hope the hope of glory and so I want you to tell the person beside you I know you miss this good morning my friend come on if you're online say good morning spread the love why don't you tell that person beside you you're blessed because you're, you're beside me <laughs> amen oh, we're gonna have a good time today we are gonna start our talk um, it's so beautiful to be in the presence of God and learn about His Word. We are on talk six, just in case you you have come for the first time. We are talking about where we're studying the book of Matthew and it has been blessing us. I, I hope that, that it has been changing your life bit by bit. But today, here's our talk title. I want you to read this to, to, with me together. Talk number six is this. One, two, three, go. Contempt. Contempt. We're going to talk about a beautiful story about Barabbas, about, about uh, Pontius Pilate, and it's going to bless you, I believe. Are you ready for a word from God today? 
All right, then I'm not going to delay it any further. I want you to join me right now. If you're, if you're sitting down online, I want you to stand up. Come on, in honor and reverence of what we're about to do today, the Word of God is alive and active, and it's going to change you. So can I invite you, everybody? Let's come in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stretch your hands out. Come on, stretch, pull those muscles, and say this with me. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded limitless overflowing abundance of God's universe today I open myself to God's blessings healing and miracles today I open myself to God's Word so that I become more like Jesus every day today I proclaim that I'm God's beloved I am God's servant I want you to shout this out I am God's powerful champion and because I am blessed I am blessing the world in Jesus name Amen Everybody, could you stretch your hands out in honor of God's Word and join me in singing. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want you to ready your hearts and open yourselves as God is going to drop a message in your life as we all welcome together Brother Bo Sanchez. Thank you so much. Proverbs. We're going to get Proverbs here. Chapter 24, verse 16. The godly man, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up. Can everybody say, get up? But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Today, I want to preach the message, get up. Look at somebody beside you and say, get up. Brother Bo, I'm standing up already. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about the Spirit. That we fall, but we get up. Put your hand over your chest and say, Jesus, I'm here, ready and available to receive what you want me to receive. The powerful word that will change the trajectory of my life. I am receiving it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Give the Lord a big hand and love Him. Give the Lord worship and praise. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Touch somebody beside you. Tell that person God will speak to you today. Everybody say again, get up. Question, when you sin, what do you do? Now some of you might say, Brother Bo, I don't sin. Let's exchange places right now. We just read a verse from the book of Proverbs that says the godly trip or fall seven times. But they will get up. They will get up. I have a, we're going to go through our reading of how Jesus was condemned. Matthew. We're at the tail end of Matthew. 
There's an excitement building up in me. We, we, have, we just have three more talks, including this one, so two more. And then the whole Gospel of Matthew is done. We've been doing this for two long years. I don't know if you, if you feel excited or not. But man, it has changed my life. Verse 7 and 8. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. And then we're just going to go through all the verses after that. But I'm going to read verse 6 first and then 7. Um, no, no, what, I have to do verse 1. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Now, last week we read the first trial. Jesus went through two trials. The, the, the Jewish court under the Sanhedrin, or the elders of the people, the priests, the scribes, those who were chosen to lead the people, they had a Jewish court. It was a sham trial. If you recall, they, Matthew said that they got witnesses to tell a lie about Jesus. But you see, they could not put Jesus to death. They were conquered by the Romans, so they had to bring Jesus to a Roman court under the Roman authority, and then they had to be the one to impute the death penalty. Then they bound him and led him away, verse 2, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow heavily from Bible teacher Tim Mackey, where he unpacked this whole story, and he said that there are four characters here that dealt with guilt in a wrong way. Everybody say, I'm listening. How you deal with guilt will determine your destiny. Did you hear me? No, you didn't. I'm going to say that one more time. How you deal with guilt will determine your destiny. And the four characters in our story, Judas, and then the priests, and then Pilate, and then the mob, they all dealt with guilt in their own way. And they're all wrong. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Have you ever felt guilty in the past years of your life? Raise your hand if you have. Obviously, if you did not raise your hand, once again, I think there's something wrong. But we've all experienced guilt. And so, we're going to start with Judas. Everybody say, I'm ready. Verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. Can everybody say that word, remorse? So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. Verse 4, I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And then the priests say, what do we care? They retorted, problema muyan, that's your problem. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Repentance consists of two steps. How many? 
two. First step, remorse. Second step, return. Judas does the first one. He did not do the second one. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ask me why. Louder. Because Judas, this is how he dealt with his guilt. He became his own judge and executioner. He decided, you're guilty, Judas, and I'm going to convict you the death penalty. He did it upon himself. Are you listening to what I'm saying? That there are two kinds of guilt. Holy guilt, unholy guilt. Holy guilt brings you closer to God. Unholy guilt, it brings you away from God. Now when you and I feel guilty, that's what happens. It either brings you closer to God or it brings you away from God. Two steps in repentance. Remorse, return. Judas does only the first one, does not do the second one. Now when I think about this, I think of the people in my life and the people I've been helping and the people I've been discipling and the people I've been talking to and this is what I've realized. There are people who follow Judas in dealing with their own guilt. They, when they felt guilty, decided, I'm going to judge myself, I'm going to punish myself. But unlike Judas, they did not kill themselves physically. I hope you're listening to me right now. This is, this is important. But they decided to judge themselves and kill themselves psychologically. And what happens is if someone is guilty, subconsciously he wants to punish himself. He will sabotage his own relationships. He will destroy his own growth. He will say no to opportunities. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He will live a miserable life intentionally, deliberately, because he has become his own judge. Does this resonate? Maybe not with you or with someone you know. Am I speaking to somebody here? That this is the first wrong way of dealing with your own guilt. That you become your own judge. Can I preach to you today? If you are online, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say right now. Let God be your own judge. You know why? Because He is more merciful than you are. I want you to declare this with me. God is my own judge. Everybody say, God is my judge. Look at somebody beside you. If you're at home right now, look at your husband, your wife, your daughter and say, God is my judge. You, you know, we, we don't say that often, right? We'd rather say, God is my healer. God is my miracle worker. God is my provider. But it is so good to understand that the God who is your judge died for you. Man. Man. You know, there are, there are some people who come up to me and say, Brother Bo, ang holy, holy mo. 40 years ka na nag-serve kay Lord. You're so holy now. And I laugh and I say, you know what? It's actually the opposite. When I was a very young Christian, I thought I was very holy. But it's, it's, the older I get, the more I see my sins. And it's, it's like my joke. Like, like if, it's, if it's evening right now, and you're, you're 20 meters away from me, tapos walang incandescent light, except the moonlight, so medyo madilim, and then you look at me from far away, you will say, Brother Bo, 
Ang bata-bata mo? You're so young. You're 42. But if you're two inches away from me, in the blazing, brilliant noonday sun, you will say, Ay, Brother Bo, are you 55 going 68? I see my sins more now than before. But it does not discourage me. It encourages me because perhaps I'm going nearer to the light. And, and I want you to understand that this is what guilt does. Holy guilt does. It, it, it makes you aware of your weaknesses and of your sinfulness. But, but it, it does not discourage. Because the more you see your sins, the more you see God's forgiveness. Do I hear a loud amen? There is a question, before we keep on reading to the second character, there is a question in my mind. I've always asked this question. What if Judas on that day took step two, did not only feel the remorse, but he actually returned to the Lord and allowed God to be his own judge? You know what would have happened? Have you ever asked that question? What if Judas actually did return to the Lord? Here's what would have happened. Ask me what? we would be right now using a nine-day novena called the Novena to St. Judas. And it will be a very popular, very popular yeah, patron saint of the impossible sinners. You know, I mean, I don't know, the worst of all. But this is what I love about the Catholic Church. Very confidently, it names who is in heaven. It will never name who is in hell. Have you noticed that? You know why? I'll tell you. When I was a kid, those of you my age, I don't know if you can relate to this. When we would talk about Judas, and the older people would talk about Judas, and you know, I'd, I'd be a kid listening in, they always assumed that Judas was in hell. Maybe not now anymore, but back then, I, we would assume, he's in hell, why? For crying out loud, he killed himself, you know? And, and how, how could he? It's, it's no, he, he's there, he's in hell. But now I realize we don't know. We actually don't. Who knows? When you go to heaven, you will see Jesus, and right beside him is Peter, and right beside Peter is Judas. I'll tell you why we don't know. Because we do not know the depth of the ocean of God's mercy. That's why. And... And I'm a, so everybody say that again. Declare with me, God is my judge. Here's the second guy. So four characters. The second one are the priests. The priests. Verse 6. The leading priests picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. Verse 7. And after some discussion, they finally decided, <laughs> it's really, before I go on, did, did you notice? They knew they did something really bad. They, they could not even accept the money. After some discussion, so this is how they dealt with their guilt. They finally decided to buy a potter's field. And they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. 
That is why the field is still called the field of blood. Let me explain this a bit, why they did that. Why a cemetery for foreigners? Back then, ancient times in Israel, you do not cremate, nor do you embalm. Meaning to say when you die, you get buried right away, or you smell. Now, if you're a foreigner living in Israel, you're supposed to be, you know, your body is supposed to be transported back from wherever. Now, you can't do that because they didn't cremate you or they didn't embalm you. So they had to bury you. They had no place to bury them. And so what the priests did with the money that they used to kill Jesus, they did a public service. Now, why did they do that? Your guess is as good as mine. Maybe it was PR. Maybe it was reputation management. So that people will say, Oh, public service. Or, or it could be, let's do a good deed to assuage our guilt. Judas, he dealt with his guilt by judging himself. You got what I'm saying? The priests dealt with their guilt by covering up. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever covered up your guilt by doing something good without first repenting and admitting that you are wrong and crying out to God and throwing yourself into the ocean of mercy? My dear friend, there is a difference between covering up and restitution. Covering up and restitution. Restitution is you have repented, you have come before God, you have cried out to Him, you have come naked before Him, you have said, Lord, I have sinned, please forgive me. And then restitution is expressing that repentance by repairing, trying to repair, sometimes you cannot, but sometimes you can, repairing the damage that you have done. Are you listening to what I'm saying? I speak to you. I'm, I'm going to turn over the microphone now to Audie to take, take over and talk about the two other characters and the wrong ways by which they dealt with guilt. But imagine if you're just you and me talking right now. Just you and me. Think that we're in a cafe. Think we're sit, sit, seated and, and there are two cups in front of us on the table and it's just you and me. My dear friend, I hope you're listening. I know that you have sinned because I sinned. I do sin. And the way we deal with guilt will determine our future. Are you like Judas? You have been punishing yourself because you think you're the judge and you think you're the executioner. Give up that role right now and turn it over to the God who died for you. He is your judge. Stop punishing yourself because you think you deserve to be cursed. God wants to bless you. Number two, or are you covering up? Covering up your guilt by doing little good deeds so that you will be better, you know, better reputation. You know, people will not. You cannot fool God. You can fool people, but you cannot fool God. I invite you to come. Cry out to Him and tell Him. Tell Him.
God, forgive me. And he will change your life. Get up. Another big hand for Brother Bo. I hope that you are learning a lot of good stuff today. So we've got two ways of how people deal with guilt. There's a tendency where you judge yourself. There's a tendency by which you cover up the sin. Here's the third way. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You blame others. Whenever we feel guilty, sometimes there's a little tendency for us to start pointing fingers at everybody except ourselves. That's what we're learning from Pontius Pilate. At least, let's read. In verse 11, this is what happened. It says, Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, You have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. This is going to be important in a moment. Then Pilate turns to Jesus and says, Don't you hear all these charges? That they're bringing against you but Jesus made no response to any of the charges much to the governor's surprise you know one thing I gotta appreciate about Jesus is this you ever wonder why Jesus was always so calm and cool and collected you know any people like that in a moment of trouble they're so calm and cool and collected and so composed you want to know why Jesus was like that? This is just my theory. And if there's anything that we can learn from this, it's this. Some of the battles that you fight in your life, you don't have to fight them alone. Some of the things that come against you, you fight it like it's your own battle. But you got to let God fight for you. Jesus knew that there is a time to defend, but there's also a time to defer to yield, to surrender, to submit it to God's full control. And the only way that we're going to do that is if we have full trust in God's plan and God's will. How many of you trust God enough to put your life in His hands? That's wonderful. Jesus knew, in other words, that there is a time for you to take a stand, but there's also a time for you to take a knee. You surrender it to God. All right? But let's continue. Verse 19, it says, something happens right after. You'll be shocked by this. It says in verse 19, just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this text message saying, leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. But you know, we all know the ending to this part in the story where Pilate doesn't listen to Mrs. Pilate and he gets into trouble. Wives, can you raise your hand right now? All the wives, come on, let me see you. All the wives, if you're online, give me a virtual hands up. All the wives, if you are beside your husband right now, I want you to do this. Can you turn to your husband straight in the face and then tell him, I told you so. Come on. I told you so. Come on, wives, this is for you. If you don't have a, 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 a life verse yet for your marriage, this is it. This will give you the supernatural license to nag your husband every time he does something wrong and tell him, you better listen to me or you, you'll end up like Pilate did. <laughs> but there's wisdom in this. Like I'm telling you, okay, I'm going to move on. Verse 20, it says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. And so the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas! 
Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. You know, history will always judge Pontius Pilate as this man who lacked the backbone to stand up for what was right. Pilate knew what was right. He knew in his heart that this Jesus guy, the guy, the guy that everybody was saying was a menace to society, he knew that Jesus was harmless. You want proof? Verse 13, it says, and I read, while Pilate was giving the accusation, this is what happened, Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. Here's the word, to the great amazement of the governor. This is the NIV version that I'm reading to you. To the great amazement of the governor. My goodness, Pilate was amazed at this guy Jesus, that he wasn't responding. And you know, if anything, what we're going to learn from this is that, you know, everybody was judging Jesus, but Jesus was silent. He was patient. Jesus was not responding. I'll tell you this much. This is so good. It says here that Jesus was silent. Pilate knew exactly that Jesus was harmless. He knew that guy, this guy was harmless. But how come Pilate still didn't do the right thing? He still did the wrong thing. You want to know why? Here's my theory. My very humble theory. It's because he listened to the wrong voice. He started listening to the crowd. And I'm telling you this, my friend. When you listen to the wrong voices, you will end up making the wrong choices. Can I get an amen on that? You'll make up the wrong choices if you listen to the crowd more than you listen to your own conscience. And that's what's happening. You hear the crowd speaking. And sometimes, you know, your conviction is still very shallow. You know what's going to happen? You'll be bullied by the opinions of others. And eventually, you'll take their own conviction into your heart. And that's exactly what happened to Pilate. See, this is where integrity really matters. Everybody say integrity. You want to know what integrity is? This is my simple definition. Integrity is being able to stand in a crowd full of people that's screaming for brutality and screaming for blood and you're the only one begging for mercy. That's integrity. Integrity is being able to say no to what everybody else is doing that you know deep in your heart is not a good thing even if it means that you're standing alone. Even if it means that you're part of the minority. Even if it means that you will be persecuted. Even if it means that you get singled out. That's what integrity is. Somebody say this with me. We need integrity. Type that in the chat box if you're online. We need integrity. But instead of showing integrity, what did Pilate do? The Bible says that Pilate started to wash his hands. And by washing his hands, he was preaching a message saying... Anything that you do from this moment on, it's not on me. Guess what? It's on you. Pilate was putting the blame on everybody. And I'm telling you, the moment you do something wrong, when you sin and when you start washing your hands, that's the same message that you're preaching. You start pointing the blame on everybody else except you. I remember a friend of mine came up to me many, many years ago and shocked me with the truth that he was going to separate with his wife of 15 years. And 
They had a couple of kids and I thought they had a great marriage. And what shocked me was that he revealed to me that the reason why they were separating is because there was infidelity in the relationship. But what shocked me the most was that the one who committed the infidelity was my friend. <laughs> but for some reason, he found so many ways and so many excuses to blame it on the wife, on the other party, saying, you know, she doesn't talk to me anymore. She, we, she nags me every day. We don't connect like we used to. And so that's why I became attracted to other women. Married people, listen to me. That is the worst excuse you can give if you're in, in a marriage. Because you see, when you know you've done something bad, when you've sinned, guess what? It's not on anybody else. It's on you. There comes a point in your life where you need to stop washing your hands like Pilate and start owning up to your sins. Can I get an amen to see if you're still here? You humble yourself before your God and then you receive His mercy. You receive His forgiveness and if need be, you give that forgiveness to other people. Stop blaming others. Can you tell your neighbors, stop blaming people? Stop blaming people. That's the third way. Here's the fourth way of how we respond to guilt. And it's so good. When we feel guilty, you know what we do? We justify ourselves. We justify the sin. That's what the mob did. I'm going to read it to you in verse 25. It says, and all the people yelled back. They said, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. And so Pilate released Barabbas to them and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I want to give you a little interesting trivia that I learned from Brother Bo a few days ago. A lot of people think that the crowd who welcomed Jesus that day were the same people who crucified him the next day. But actually in reality, there were two different sets of people. Two different sets of people. Bible scholars and experts believe that the first crowd who welcomed Jesus with the palm leaves, they were Galilean pilgrims that were visiting Jerusalem that day. But the people who crucified Jesus and persecuted Him in the courtyard and all the way to Mount Calvary, you know who they were? Check this out. They were hired by the religious leaders. They were recruited. In other words, they were the quote-unquote trolls of the religious leaders and Matthew Matthew uses a word to describe them this is beautiful you know what Matthew called them he called them a mob everybody say mob mob m-o-b because by nature a mob will never think for themselves a mob will only follow what the majority are doing so if you're part of the mob you know what you're doing you're not using your head you're only following and mimicking and copying what the rest are doing. And this is how they justified it. In verse 25, it says, We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. It's one thing to take responsibility for the death of somebody, to own up to the death of somebody, but to actually involve your children in the process, that's a whole different level of evil, right? To say that this thing that I'm doing, persecuting this guy it's for me and for my children in other words they were doing for the common good everybody say the common good have you ever heard that term used when they say it's for the common good usually here's the irony whenever you say it's for the common good it's usually for the majority but not for the minority history has known this too well 
this is the reason why six million Jews were exterminated. Why? Simply because one man said it was for the common good of Nazi Germany. This is the reason why 40 to 70 million farmers were massacred one day. Why? Because one man said it was for the common good of China. You get what I'm saying? If it's for the common good of many, then it's not for the common good of the few. It excludes the minority in the process. And that's exactly what they were doing here. They were excluding everybody from the common good. But how did they justify it? Because they said, this is for the children. We will take responsibility, we and our children. Can I ask you to stand up? We're going to close. Before I give you the final message, you know, I just want to say something to part with that thought that life is life. Life is life. None of us have the power and the authority to say who gets to live, who gets to die. That belongs to God. God is our judge. None of us have that power. But you know, in the end, what happened? They still crucified Jesus. Who crucified Jesus? The priests? Yes? The religious leaders? Yes? The Romans? Yes? Actually, we all did. You and I included. But Brother Audi, um, I wasn't born 2,000 years ago. I was born in 1984. Yes, you weren't born 2,000 years ago. But hey, sometimes, you know, your attitude in life, it's still stuck in the past. Let me preach this to you. In one sense of the word, you and I still crucify Jesus today. How? Let's go back two chapters before this in, verse 20, in, in chapter 25. It says, Jesus says this in, 40, in verse 42. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Jesus says in verse 45, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Jesus now gives us this new definition of what it means to be good for all of us. You know, being good means you don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't covet, you don't, you don't murder, you don't steal, you obey your parents. That's what it means to be good, right? But now Jesus is introducing this new idea of what it means to be good. To be good, it also means to serve those who are suffering. So here's the truth. If I'm not doing anything to serve the needy, to serve the hungry, to serve the homeless, to serve those who are persecuted and who are hopeless, you know what I'm doing? I'm crucifying Jesus again and again and again. And I know it's, it's hard. It's hard to always do the right thing, right? Can you agree with me? Say amen. It's hard to always do the right thing. It's always hard to do the, say the right words. It's hard to do the act thing. The, 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 it's always hard, hard to act right. Sometimes it feels impossible to do that, right? But it only feels impossible if we're not operating in grace. Everybody say grace. See, grace is the thing that enables you to do the things that you normally would not humanly possibly do, can do. That's grace. Grace will give you the strength 
the resiliency, the energy, the hope, the faith for you to do the thing that God asked you to. Grace makes ways. Can you shout that out? Grace makes ways. Grace makes ways. And I want to preach this to you loud and clear. That guilt, that guilt that you're carrying right now, that's the enemy of grace. That's the enemy of grace. Remember Adam and Eve who bit that forbidden fruit. The moment they bit that fruit, you know what happened? They started hiding from God, running away from God. Why? Because it was their guilt, their shame that enabled them to run away from that grace. But this is what the enemy wants you to believe. That you'll always be broken. That you'll always sin against Him. That you'll always be forsaken. The enemy wants you to believe that. But what the enemy doesn't know is that God's grace is greater than your guilt. What the enemy doesn't know is that you are broken but you are not beyond repair. You might be bruised right now but you are not beaten. You might be wrecked in your heart and in your soul but you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain to raise you up to life. You are what I call a broken vessel. I'm a broken vessel. Say that out loud. I'm a broken vessel. I might be broken, but I'm a vessel. I'm a container. I'm a jar. I'm an instrument of God. You're a wounded healer. In the presence of Jesus right now, I want you to bow down your heads. As we're going to worship the Lord in a few moments. And I want to think, I want you to think about the guilt that you're carrying. Whether it's a small guilt, a big guilt. And I want you to, as you imagine this moment, just close your eyes. I want you to just purposely, deliberately, just lay your guilt at the foot of Jesus. And just say it in your heart, Lord, my guilt is yours. Take it. I don't need it anymore. You died on the cross to redeem me and to save me so that I can surrender my life to you and so I give you my guilt right now the baggage that I'm carrying it's yours you're strong enough to hold it you're mighty enough to handle it so it's yours Jesus I'm wounded but I'm saved I'm broken but I am completely and perfectly loved by you in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.